Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. That song was certainly appropriate and fitting for us as we are in the certain season of our lives and our nation and our world, and I'm grateful for the way that our people prepare and they lead us in worship as far as the music portion of our service. Very, very grateful. I thank you for being here today. I I want you to know that several weeks ago, I guess it was about a month or so ago, my pastor friend came on a Sunday night. His name is Dennis Grant. He preached here, brought his choir, his family members, and we gathered on a Sunday night, worshiped the Lord together. And my friend Dennis Grant, Jerusalem Baptist Church in Brandon, he brings a towel to the pulpit. And whether he needs it or not, he usually needs it because he sweats. And uh, some of us as pastors are sweaters. We sweat more than others, whether we get fired up or not. And one of our precious church members uh, sensed and felt that I needed a towel when I entered the pulpit. And so I want you to know that I have a towel. Whether I need it or not, I'm going to bring it today. But I also, I wanted you to see it. Uh, You give the most creative gifts as a church, and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, Unique gifts, and I'm, I'm grateful. This one says, Pastor Howe's preaching towel. This isn't just any preaching towel. Uh, it's it's mine, and I'm sure I need it. As, I need as much help as I can get in preaching. But I, I sent Dennis uh, Marco a video this morning saying, hey, look what I have. I bet you don't have one that says Pastor Grant or Pastor Dennis. So I hadn't heard back from him. I'm pretty sure he'll have some kind of smart remark, you know, about that. But uh, that's mine. I'm not letting him borrow it. And I appreciate it. I am glad you're here today. It seems rather providential to me that we are in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, through the rest of chapter 2 in our walk through Ephesians, trying to learn how to live out the Christian life through the truths of this epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. It is providential because if you study closely, then you will see the issue, the conflict that was going on in the church. Part of the issue was uh, surrounding the Jews and the Gentiles and some conflict. And are we of the law? Are we not? What does all that mean for us? There was some tension Uh, Some of it was caused by themselves in the church because they were holding on to prior values and beliefs that all of them, quite frankly, didn't line up with what Christ had done for them and what Christ has done for us. So as we consider God's true family, which is the title of the message, Jew and Gentile reconciled through Christ might be the heading of your particular version of the Bible I want us to go ahead and turn there, but I want to I give you a little background information 
that has to do with our current crisis in Israel. A little over a week ago, and I'm sure most of you know this, unless you've been to Mars the last week or the moon or something, just came back. Just in case that's the case, uh, a little over a week ago, the terrorist group Hamas attacked Israel, and they have encouraged other Muslim nations to do the same and fight against the Jews. This past Wednesday night, uh, incorporated some prayer time as we usually pray uh, for a portion of our Wednesday night gathering at 6 o'clock on Wednesdays. A little bit of background about Israel. I provided some resources and some information. Some of it is still out there on the, on the uh, welcome guest table. I also want you to know that if you go to our Facebook page, perhaps website, from time to time, there'll be other information that's provided in case you want to dig in a little bit more to what's going on. we, We can't study or explain everything that's going on in one Wednesday night or one message on a Sunday morning, but we can at least address it some I have always believed as a pastor when there's something of this magnitude, there always uh, is some conflict going on in Israel, uh, but this is different. This is heavier than anything that most of us have dealt with in our lifetime or in our grandparents' lifetime that you need to address it. As a church, we need to know resources that are available and where to go. And we need to know what we believe and the opportunities that God can give us in light of what's going on in the world to share the name of Christ and to sing like we did today about the one true God and that he is faithful and that he is sovereign and that he has us in the palm of his hands. Now, before reading the text... Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 11 in a minute, and it begins with therefore, in light of what we talked about last week. I want to share some basic questions that typically will come up in an evangelical church for the pastor. Now, I can't say that every church, Southern Baptist Church in uh, Lincoln County or other evangelical churches have been asked this, but basically there's two or three questions that are asked, and I want to give you a type of response. The first one is, is the end of the world at hand? The signs are everywhere. Well, a quick answer is, I have no idea. I can't tell you, oh, it's going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen on the 16th at 1030 in the morning. But I can tell you, like other ministers of the Bible will tell you, there are signs everywhere. And it could be that 50 years ago, your grandfather pastored a church and there were signs then. And he could say, well, we're closer today than we were yesterday. So here's what I would tell you with that. Regardless regardless of your eschatological view, which is your view of end times, we believe as evangelicals, the people of the Bible, that Jesus is coming back. But we have different views, pro-millennial historical pre-millennial, amillennial. There's different views under the umbrella of Southern Baptist and what believers believe about his coming back. But we are one day closer to eternity than ever before. Whether the Lord returns today or a thousand years from today, you and I as Christians could go to him today. The sudden nature of Hamas's attack on Israel highlights the fact 
in the face that tomorrow is promised to none of us, even to the United States of America. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Now is the day of salvation. So what I would encourage you to do, whether you're in the building or you're watching or you're listening, and this sometimes is a week later, today is the day of salvation. If you have never, ever repented of your sin, believed on Jesus, the one true God, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Romans 10, 9 through 11, I would confess him as Savior and Lord, and I would make the most important decision in your life. Do not tarry, because we don't know when the Lord is coming back. We just don't know what this afternoon or tomorrow holds. Oh, we have plans, but we don't know God's plan. So we need to be ready. So here's what I would tell you. If you've never made that decision, do it today. Just surrender. It'll be the best life that you'll ever have because he wants a relationship with you. Another another question that's often asked, besides is this right now the end of the world, though the signs are out there, why does God allow war? Well, a student of the Bible recognizes that war often occurred. Good versus evil exist in our depraved world. We go back to Genesis and we see that where sin entered the world. We believe in the just war tradition. As believers, Romans 13 grants governments the right to respond to evil acts. We are studying the life of David, an Old Testament war hero, on Thursday mornings with our men and others in our community. He was a war hero. He stood for what was right. John Stone Street has this thought-provoking statement that relates to our current crisis. Ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims. Let me say that again. Ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims. Now, the Bible has the following truths, one, two, three, four, and we all believe the Bible teaches all four of these. First one is this, God is all loving. The Bible says God is love. For God so loved the world, John three sixteen, that he gave his only begotten son. God's all loving. Number two, God is all knowing, omniscient. Only God is all-knowing. He knows everything because he's God. Truth number three, God is all-powerful, omnipotent, all-powerful. And number four, evil exists. Evil exists. Now, we believe all four of those are true based on God's Word. And as Isaiah 55 lets us know in that chapter that some things are, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so often when it comes to something that is perplexing, If we take the time to pray through it and study and look at different resources and we see what other scholars have said about God's Word, it is amazing how God will give us peace and freedom and ah, an aha moment if we take the time to do that. 
But if there comes that time where it may be, well, I hadn't had time to study this particular thing that's going on in the world or this particular doctrine of truth, then here's what I say. We recognize God is God, and I am not, and we are not, and we trust him. Just like we trust him as Savior and Lord, as believers, trusting that we've done that. Billy Graham said this, if God eliminated evil, By programming us to perform only good acts, we would lose this distinguishing mark, the ability to make choices. We would no longer be free moral agents. We would be reduced to the status of robots. Good quote. Here's another question that pastors are often asked, what's up with the Jews? I had a friend ask me that that I went to school with years ago, just several weeks ago, before the terrorist attack of Hamas on Israel. God sovereignly chose the Jews to be his special people. We see that throughout the Bible. Amos chapter 3 verse 2 is one one passage. God chose the Jews not only to receive his special blessings, but also to be a channel of those blessings to others, other people groups. From the beginning, it was God's plan that through Abraham and his descendants, the Jews, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Israel was called to be a vessel through which the knowledge of God would be spread to the entire world. God made Israel distinct for two primary reasons. First, he wanted the world to see and notice them, to realize that they did not live and act like other men. Secondly, second, he wanted them to be so distinct that they would never be mixed or aligned with other peoples. Those distinctions, like the special blessings God gave them, were intended to be a tool for witness. But Israel, so often, perverted them into a source of pride, isolation, and self-glory, which we can see in our text as well as the misguided beliefs of the Gentiles. Chapter 2, verse 11, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, meaning this is church at Ephesus, you had born-again Christians, Gentiles, and Jews. They're trying to be reconciled to God, understanding what that means, and be reconciled to each other. And so Paul's writing this letter. And called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, In Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Verse 17. 
He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, in verse 22. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God's true family. We see from the text the following. And as we walk through Ephesians, we are exposing the text. Expository preaching, meaning what was going on, who wrote it, why was it written, and how can we apply it to our life? And so, as you can tell from the introduction, and you will in the conclusion, we're also interjecting some other things to keep in mind that are truths that are important for us during this time that is going on in our world. So now we come to the passage and how we can apply it to our life. The first one is this. God's true family is not about our blood kin. Oh, we're thankful for our heritage, many of us. Just give me a little time, and I'll tell you about the Kitchings and the Overstreets. Give you a little bit of time. You'll tell me about your background and your in-laws and your, your dad and your grandparents. There's nothing wrong with that. Let's keep that in mind. There's a place for that. And all we see in the text, this goes way back. There have been a lot of people that have been proud and grateful for their blood kin. Most of the converts in the church of Ephesus were Gentiles. They knew that much of God's plan in the Old Testament was about the Jews. God had put a difference between them so that his purposes of salvation might be accomplished. But once those purposes were accomplished in Christ, there was no, those purposes were, there was no more difference between the two. They were to be a race forever. The Jews and Gentiles were to be reconciled as they were all to be reconciled to Jesus. In other words, you're reconciled in Christ. You're the body of Christ. You're in this church There doesn't need to be any barriers. You're reconciled to each other. You need to work on that. You need to understand that. The law was to serve as a tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Galatians chapter 3 verse 24. We're going there soon. The purpose of the law was to make us conscious of sin. Romans chapter 3 verse 20. All Christians stand on level ground, young, old. Male, female, Jew, Gentile, rich and poor. There is no other way to Jesus. The stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation in Acts chapter 4 is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men which might be 
saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 last week, for by grace you saved through faith this side of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. There's only one way to heaven. It's not through our blood kin. It's not because we're a Southern Baptist. It's not because you went to vacation Bible school. It's not because you know the Ten Commandments and may have a set of them in your front yard. It's because you have admitted your sin and put your faith in Jesus knowing that he shed his blood for your sin and for mine and for the entire world. There's only one way, and it is through Christ. So don't allow your blood kin to keep you from repenting of your sin. Jew, Catholic, Church of Christ, or misguided, legalistic Baptist of some kind. It's not about the law. It's about Christ alone. We sang about a lot of this earlier. Let's not forget Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. It's his grace God's true family not about our blood kin number two we see in our text God's true family is not about our outer skin Jews and Gentiles often stumbled over their former traditions in order to be reconciled and grasp the truth of Jesus Christ this often caused conflict with one another Paul deals with it here for example by talking about circumcision It was meant at one time symbolically of the cutting away of sin. Circumcision had never been a mark of a personal faith-based relationship to God for Jews or anyone else. Paul makes much of this in Romans 2, which says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither circumcision is that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who in one inwardly, the circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God, because they put their faith in Christ. Romans 4, he points out that Abraham was saved before he was circumcised. The separation of the two groups from each other was symbolized by the mark of circumcision, a purely physical distinction. God is strictly concerned about a faith in Christ that transforms heart and life. How do we apply this? Well, one way is to go back to a simplistic psalm that many of us learned when we were growing up. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. So whether it's the color of the skin, so whether it's what someone does with their skin in the kingdom of God, all barriers come down. There are no classes, races, no distinction. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We have different cultural differences. There's nothing wrong with that. But we must not let it or anything else that's not based on God's word keep us from coming to him and living for him and accepting the truth of the Messiah and the principles in the Old Testament and the New Testament and the fact that it is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Number three, we see this from the text. God's true family. God's true family, not about our blood kin. God's true family, not about our outer skin. God's true family is about 
who we have within. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 18 said it's through him. Verse 20 says Jesus is the cornerstone. Verse 22 says in him we are being built together. 1 Corinthians 6 says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God who you were bought with at a price. Our tribe is believers, Christians, those that have been born again, those who have trusted Christ alone, not the Southern Baptist Convention, believers. And never forget that if your family of origin, mom, dad, siblings, beat you to heaven, you still have God's family. I have no idea how people make it through trials and crisis and the loss of a precious loved one of their family without the family of God. And that's what's so exciting about this letter. Paul is reminding them, hey, you are all one family because of Christ. Allow him to rule and reign in your life. And don't let traditions and legalism and uh, man-made traditions keep you from enjoying a relationship and the freedom you have with Christ and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now today, I want to, well, I want to use this towel a minute because I have it. I want to close today's message by making some statements, kind of like what I did in the beginning about what I do know, not about what I don't know, concerning the conflict in Israel. And I certainly don't know everything about a lot of things. But I will say there's some things I do know. Here they are. There's about eight things I've listed here. Number one, we're to pray for them. That's in Psalm 122, verse 6. There's some other texts, but pray for Israel. That I know. And we've talked on Wednesday, and there's other things on your faith that tells you exactly how to pray. There's things coming from the Southern Baptist Convention. That's one of the reasons I'm glad, not only because of our doctrine and because we make a great commotion about the Great Commission, the co-opted program, but our entities oftentimes provide information in a crisis like this to help us understand. So number one, we're to pray for them. They're out there if we look for them. Number two, the resources. We are to pray for our governmental leaders, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse, verses 1 through 4. Whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever you might be, it doesn't matter when it comes to praying for our leaders. We're supposed to. We're supposed to. It's biblical. Number three, here's the other thing I know. We are to trust our sovereign God. Romans eight twenty eight. I thought it was interesting when we gathered on Wednesday night. We have a marker board there, and I don't know who did it. It certainly wasn't me because you could read it. At Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. Purpose. Did you see? Did you hear that? All things. Go back to the introduction and the four things that we believe are true. Evil exists. All things work together for good. Whether we understand it or not, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your own understanding. All your ways now to him. He'll direct your path. All things work together for good. So we must not forget that. We are to trust in our sovereign God. Romans eight twenty eight. Number four, 
We're to make the most of every opportunity. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 16 says we're to be sure to understand the best we can what God's will is so we'll make the most of the opportunity we have for the however many days we have. And so this is an opportunity for us. I think about Some things that are going on on a regular basis in our church that have been going on. And some other things that are coming up in October. It's it's almost, it just seems that God just put these pieces together for us to take advantage of them so people can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Number five, we are to be careful with our words. Ephesians 4.29, we're coming to that. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful that may benefit those who listen. If you're asked a question because they know you go to East Haven or they know you claim to be a believer and you don't know an answer, here's what you say. I don't know. I remember Dr. Phil McCarty, professor, college. I remember a lot about what Dr. McCarty said. I should have, but I remember him saying this over and over. When you're asked a question, students, and you don't know the answer, don't pretend. Don't say something that may misguide somebody. Just say, I don't know. Just say, I don't know. It's a good question. I'll try to find out, get back with you. So be careful. We need to be careful with our words. Number six We are to be informed without going overboard at the expense of life's priorities. We live a life. We've got family. We've got children. We have jobs. We have careers. We have things going on in the church of Jesus Christ. So we're to be informed without going overboard and letting it consume us, certainly to the point of worry or anxiousness, at the expense of life's priorities. Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Number seven, we're to be very careful not to suddenly become experts on prophecy. We're to be very careful not to suddenly, all of a sudden, become experts on prophecy prophecy Jesus is coming back if you spend some time studying on prophecy God bless you and you feel that God is leading you to share some things based on God's word God bless you but be careful not to be dogmatic so much so that it can turn people away that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ they need to know him we're to be very careful Not to suddenly become experts in prophecy or eschatology. Tony Evans said this, the reason you're to study prophecy is not to satisfy your curiosity. You study prophecy in order to learn how to function and live now while we wait for Christ's return. And then, number eight, we believe Jesus will return. And we have our marching orders until then. The Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commandment, Matthew 22, 35 through 40. Lord, help us, in light of what's going on in our world, to be your people, your family, because we have a relationship with you, because we're a part of the body of Christ, 
and because we've been reminded to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness more than anything else. Help us with our priorities, Lord. Help us to understand how to apply this message, your word, to our daily lives. Help us to be guided in the right direction in the weeks ahead. Help us with the opportunities that are coming, that are coming this month. Not just regular week to week, Sunday school, worship, Wednesday nights, but also these other unique events that by, the, by your providence, we believe, can draw people to you, many of them for the first time. Help us not to get so busy with stuff that we forget what's most important. Help us with our priorities. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to stand this morning.